Hi, everybody. This is Mikey D. Welcome to my stoop. There once was a small American town, and although it sat in the forgotten corner of a giant city, it was much like any other small community around America. Everyone knew everyone else's name and everyone's business. Instead of a stream or a brook, we had the fire hydrant. We didn't have farmer's markets, but we did have a well-stocked bodega. And rather than sitting on the front porch to watch the little world fall by, we sat on our stoops. It seems like an ancient time, like it was some lost city. It was like I had watched it all from the stoops of Atlantis. We were kids. I was in like second grade. Heck, I think Christopher was in kindergarten, but dreams of showbiz were already burning in our souls. So at the age of seven, I decided I needed to write my first and only 70s style variety extravaganza worthy of Rowan and Martin or Carol Burnett. Thusly, The Funny Bunny Show was born. Welcome to The Funny Bunny Show, starring Laura D. and Jennifer M. And Christopher M. And starring your host, Mikey D. When the weather was not conducive to hanging out on the stoops of Atlantis, we moved to the interior stoop of my building, my hallway. This stoop was a creaky staircase that climbed up from the bedroom floor of our building, up past Mrs. Francis's apartment, who was Chris and Jen's grandma, and then up to the top floor where various tenants had lived over the years. There was a doctor who turned out to be a total slob, nuns who gave us guitar lessons, and in later years, my sister Donna. And there was and still is a great fancily carved wooden banister that was perfect for straddling and sliding down, offering a fun ride, and if not careful, friction crotch burns. Use of the hall required special permits from my mom. We couldn't just hang out on a whim. We needed the okay from the boss of bosses, Capo de Tutti Mami. Once she gave the blessing, the hall was ours to hang out as long as we kept the noise down which, being kids, was not genetically possible, and we'd often get the boot. Later we discovered that the front door's incredible lock was able to be opened with a wooden ice cream stick, and that allowed us to sneak in and hang. We would usually get away with it, unless we were making too much noise, then it was the old boot again. If it was raining out, too bad, a little water won't kill you. But the hallway was more than just a play space for us kids. It was a rehearsal space for the Funny Bunny Show. We practiced and perfected it over the course of many years. We had a few guest stars pop in and out, like Scott, my friend Nemo, my baby sister Chris, and amongst others, but the core cast was always me, my sister Laura, and our perennial buddies Jen and Christopher. Comedy and music, that's what it was all about. It would start with my introducing the cast, and then came the impersonations. It was the early 70s, and I loved Rich Little. For those who don't remember, he was a regular on Johnny Carson, Merv Griffin, as well as the Dean Martin celebrity roast. If he impersonated someone, then so did I. Richard Nixon... Poland and Henry Kissinger. Yeah, I suck. <laughs> but at the time, I thought I was the next guy to sit next to Carson. I remember Scott got mad at me one day and he stormed off yelling out, And your imitations suck. You're not even funny. Yeah, kids are cruel, but often accurate. After the hilarity of my mimicry came to skits. There was one called The Drunken Pain. It was a classic. It involved Christopher or Jennifer, if memory serves, I think they alternated. Drunk singing, Man Don't You Bug Me in the middle of the night, outside the home of an old lady, played by my sister Laura, always a consummate comedic actress. 
The song was somewhat popular at the time, but not on AM radio as some future yacht rock song. It was a song from a game of the same name by Hasbro. Here, see if you can remember it. Man, don't you bug me. I got my own bugs too. If you think you're gonna give your bugs to me, I'm gonna give them right back to you. Man, don't you bug me. I got my own bugs too. Hey, that was one groovy classic. The bit involved the old lady's continual dumping of buckets of water on Chris or his sister's head, faked of course, to get them to stop singing. The cops were called and it was off to prison where the singing continued to the chagrin of the cops. Then they joined in and sang along with her, even the old lady joining in. Now come on, tell me that's not funnier than anything SNL has done in years. Kids, kids love to perform, it's in the blood. Often it is chased away by practical considerations, but we had a blast. The musical numbers would fill in between the skits. These were air band performances of my sister Donna's 45 records of the Beatles, the Monkees, the Bee Gees, Animals, whatever. Beatles and Monkees were our faves. I would always play Paul and Mike Nesmith. Laura would be John or Mickey Dolenz, Chris Ringo and Davy Jones, and Jennifer George and uh, Peter Tork. I don't think we ever even used fake instruments. We just mimed it all. Thinking back, there was a great blown opportunity. We were kids. This was like 1972 or so. With a little push, we could have learned guitar, bass, and drums and started our own band. We could have been in line with the Cosmos to be one of the great new wave bands of the late 70s and early 80s. Echo and the Funny Bunny Men? Maybe. Our songs could have been amongst those original MTV videos. We could have helped kill the radio stars. Ah, wasted potential. But we practiced our bits and fake singing anytime the weather was too crappy. Eventually, though, we would have to perform this Tony Award shoo-in to a bigger audience. We couldn't play Allentown forever. We had plans, big ones. The hallway was nothing more than an off-off-Broadway house with a single light bulb. Our creativity was being stifled. We needed space. A big stage. As you recall from episode 11, we were always digging in my yard. And I actually pondered the concept of building an underground rehearsal space. I mean, why not? We had dug deep holes. We just needed to go deeper. We had plenty of scrap wood lying around for support beams. Heck, there was even that water bug beam if needed. See episode 6 of The Bloodmaster. We could run extension cords for lighting and amps. This was a great idea. Nah, it wasn't. There was something about digging that would keep us from pulling this off. It's science, math. There's an inverse relationship between the depth already dug and the motivation to go another inch deeper. By the time you hit a foot down, motivation was in the negative numbers. No, we had to find a real, professional, fully functional theater. I remember being really little, maybe three or four. That age when memories are nothing more than flashcards of imagery. I was looking up at the stage in the church hall of Holy Rosary. A few years later, when I went to grammar school, I would stand on that same stage in numerous school plays, usually Christmas ones where I'd play a shepherd. Every Christmas it's the same. I always end up playing a shepherd. But at that moment I was watching in awe as Jesus sang, well, it was Sylvester, my sister Debbie's friend, singing Gethsemane from Jesus Christ Superstar. Debbie and her gang were a talented bunch and were doing a version of the Andrew Lloyd Webber classic. Just like me and my fellow funny bunnies would do, the call of the biz of show was in their blood. I can still recall that feeling of awe as Sylvester sang right through his soul a psychedelic swirl of lights, the orchestra swelling, the crowd in stunned silence. Well, maybe it was a couple of lights and he sang to the record and it was an empty hall. It was a rehearsal, but to my three-year-old eyes it was awesome. That stage energy lingered in my mind for a few years, so when I was seven and producing my own Broadway-worthy magic, 
The thought of doing it on stage was unnatural. I mean, this was the East Harlem equivalent of the Helen Hayes or the Gershwin Theater. But how would we get permission? Whenever I brought up the idea to my parents, the replies were always the same. When you get older, or just keep practicing, and one day... One day what? Weber would call and ask to produce it? I needed an inside connection. Miss Anne Montilli was the nicest and sweetest teacher I ever had. I think at that age I had a crush on her. I remember going to church with my mom to watch her get married. She liked me, and she would arrange the Funny Bunny show to play on that great old wooden stage with the big heavy gold cloth curtains and the old piano that sat dusty and rarely played backstage. But naturally, we had to prove ourselves, audition the work. So one day during a snack break, when the lady would come around and sell pretzel sticks and those little containers of sun-made orange and grape juice, I told Miss Anne, through a mouthful of pretzel rod paste, that I had written a play. I actually called it a play. Her eyes lit up and she said, One day, Mike, you'll have to perform it for the class. Yes, definitely. And why not right now? Well, okay, she said. That was all I needed. I spit out the words, I have to get everyone else. And I dashed out to gather up my castmates from the other classrooms. I must have looked like a mini madman, bursting into classrooms to the stunned surprise of teachers and babbling out, We're putting on a show for Miss Anne and I need Laura. Okay, Mr. Gibbons said as my sister rushed from her seat. We're putting on a show and I need Christopher. Okay, sister, whatever her name was, said. Chris joined us. But then, we're putting on a show and I need Jennifer. No. Mrs. Francis was always the toughest teacher at Holy Rosary, and she was Jennifer's grandmother. Come on, Grandma, Jen begged. No. Please, Miss Francis, it's for Miss Anne. I think I recalled an eye roll, but she finally surrendered. I had my cast. We raced back to my classroom, and out of breath, I looked to Miss Anne. We're ready. Oh, okay, but just part of the show, she insisted. Just a part? Would she ask Shakespeare to just have the cast perform half an act of Hamlet? Jeez, this was an artistic insult. But I had to move and move quick. It was decided. It would be the drunken pain. My masterpiece of comedic subtlety and shark-toothed wit. I recall it unfolding in slow motion. In fragments. We made it to the jail scene, and we were all singing the tune, when a classmate, Robert, stepped up from his front row seat and joined us, putting his arm around the chain of singers and belting it out like he had been on the original cast member from our preview days in the hallway. Then Robert had a white object in his hand. Why, I cannot recall. But as he waved his hands drunkenly in the spirit of the show, the object flew from his grip, through the air, as Miss Anne and the class's eyeballs followed it in a majestic arc to the ground where it cracked open in an oblong pool of yellow and clear goop. My show had literally laid an egg in front of my potential producer, Miss Anne, in the class. It did get laughs. I recall Miss Anne's words. Well, Mike, that was interesting. Never had a review been more succinct and gently honest. She clapped and the class did applaud. My cast dispersed to the classrooms and I took a seat. I was pumped and I felt it went, well, you know, not bad. It just needed a few tweaks. And tweak I did and practice we did. For years, it was the go-to solution to boredom on a rainy day. Until one day, the mere suggestion became the cause of chuckles. A joke. We had grown up past and beyond the Funny Bunny Show. But not my love of writing. There would be more stories and movies and plays conjured up as we sat on those stoops of Atlantis. This has been The Stoops of Atlantis with Mikey D. Stay tuned for future episodes as we journey back to that ancient mythical land 
that actually existed, East Harlem. And please join the Stoops of Atlantis Facebook page, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe on YouTube or iTunes. See you next time.